Here is a great chance to gain insights into how to build big businesses and what mistakes can and should be avoided. Not only is this podcast the brainchild of the brand called You, it is also an HT Smartcast original and it is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Today we have a fascinating young man who's made a career, life and coffee, Matt Chitranjan. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Matt is the founder of Blue Tokai Coffee. I'm sure all of you heard of Blue Tokai. But before that, he was in the Stern School of Business. He did a degree in finance. Then he worked in a real estate firm. He got interested in pursuing a PhD. He worked for USAID in Jordan. And then he worked with IMFR Small Enterprise Center, where he met his wife, Namrata. And there, interestingly, he lived next to a coffee store called Blue Bottle, which got you interested in coffee. We have seen a big transition. I mean, if I look at it, when I was growing up, it was Nestle. And then came Brew. And then the first parlor was Barista. And then, of course, there was Cafe Coffee Day. And there was some also. And then now Starbucks has come. And now you have come into Tokai. What uh, does a customer look for when uh, he or she is making a choice on which coffee to buy? So I think it's quality mixed with convenience. Right. So with instant coffee, the quality is not very high, but it's incredibly convenient. You don't need any equipment. You just uh, mix the powder in with the water and drink that instantly. Once people start tasting what non-instant coffee tastes like, then they get used to that level of quality and that flavor. So CCD then took over that market. And it was very convenient also because they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. You could uh, get a cup of CCD all yeah, across it. Yeah. Quality, then they lost out a little bit to Costa, then, then to Starbucks. And now with Starbucks, they've sort of elevated the experience of being in a cafe. Furnishings are very nice. Their locations are very premium. Their staff are very well-trained. Mm-hmm. But uh, for, a, for a true coffee connoisseur, the, the coffee that they serve there is, is quite dark. So you're not able to taste the, the complexity and flavor that, that you can get. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the customers then that, that are sort of migrating as people learn more about coffee mm-hmm. towards our brand. And how does this compare to the traditional home-brewed coffee in a South Indian uh, Filter coffee. So actually, filter coffee now has become mixed with chicory. So chicory is actually a coffee substitute. It came about in the 1800s when coffee prices were too high. Mm-hmm. So people started mixing chicory in to sort of replicate the taste of coffee. Well, what is chicory? Chicory is the, it's a root of a lettuce, endive. So you harvest the root and you roast it and process it, and then it has a coffee-like flavor. But now, it's been so entrenched in, in South Indian coffee culture that people feel that you need to add chicory to get the true taste of coffee. I see. So it's interesting that sort of an additive has now become a replacement for the... the so when I ask for filter coffee, I'm actually getting a blend of coffee and chicory. Coffee and chicory. Wow. Blue Tokai has been built into quite an enviable brand. You have 25 stores, but you seem to be larger than life in wherever you're present. What have you done to make the brand so powerful? 
I think we've really been focused on the product from the very beginning. First started, so our packaging is somewhat well-known. It has your name on it. It has art on the back. And it was very labor-intensive in the beginning. We were manually sticking those labels with people's names by hand. And I had a bit of a disagreement with my wife, who was my co-founder. I said, this is way too expensive. We need to, make the price. We need to bring the price down. But she was very focused from the beginning on having a, a good design aspect to it and, and a premium feel. And I think apart from having a really good product, the, the design and sort of the communication that we put forward has really helped us. Okay. And uh, I would imagine that is what is leading to a lot of repeat purchase. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the majority of our customers are repeat. So we have a very luckily uh, sort of a loyal following that supports us. We're very fortunate in that respect. And all of them go and brew the coffee in their homes. Yeah, so not everybody. Uh, lots of people come to the cafe and, and just take the coffee to go and enjoy the coffee there. So in the beginning, we faced some, still to this day, uh, Education is sort of a challenge for us. Nescafe and Brew have done an incredible job of marketing so that people now feel that that's the normal coffee, when actually it's a very sort of manufactured process to get yeah. coffee to be soluble. Yeah. So we get people who order our beans or, or order the powder, actually, and call us up and say there's something wrong with this roast. I've tried hot water, I've tried cold water, but no matter what I do, it's not dissolving in water. So, mm. so you guys have totally screwed up this roast. Mm. So they don't uh, even understand that this oh, requires yeah. some equipment and you have to do it. So that's a, a challenge that we face, but it's also an opportunity. Okay. So, you know, I've, for the last two or three years, been using a lot of Nespresso. And every time I'm in Singapore, I'm on the pods. And I've often tried to debate with the people in the shop. That, you know, you keep trying to convince me to buy intensity 6 and intensity 10. And I, for the life of me, can't figure out the difference. What does this mean? So I think intensity, people associate quality of coffee with the strength and strength gets equated to bitterness. So actually you can take any sort of coffee and just increase the amount of powder that you're using relative to the amount of water that will increase the strength. But people, uh, because typically they're adding a lot of milk and sugar, they want a a strong coffee that they can cut with milk and sugar. So intensity, then you sort of decide how much bitterness you want in your cup and then that translates into intensity. So what is the right way to drink coffee? With milk, with sugar, black? So there's no right way. It's it's whichever way you as an individual prefer. Milk has been paired with coffee for hundreds of years. So that's a natural combination that that people really enjoy. Personally, I like to drink coffee, light roasted coffee that's black. When coffee is roasted light, it becomes more complex. You can taste more of the flavors in, in the bean. But it also has a sourness that can be off-putting. Because I also, after I started Nespresso, I only drink black coffee. Yeah. I mean, the moment I add something to it, I don't get the flavor. Yeah, so I think people... So sugar also is added very frequently to coffee, but that's because that coffee is bitter. So it's sort of a, a vicious cycle in a way. The coffee is roasted bitter, so then you have to add sugar to it, but then now you're sort of ruining the flavor of it. Whereas if you just have light roasted coffee then it's not bitter and you don't need to add sugar and what about all these very high-end coffees that you're getting out of elephants and out of the civet cats yeah so just a fad uh, i mean so the idea behind the civet cat coffee makes sense so the ripeness of the coffee cherry determines how the flavor that it will have Mm -hmm. so you want to pick the coffee at sort of this optimum point of ripeness to maximize the flavor of that coffee so the civet cats are naturally attuned to this process, and so they select only the ripest cherries. Mm-hmm. So by assumption, whatever passes through them would have been naturally selected to be the best cherries. 
then that sort of took off. And now what happened is they put the civet cats into cages and then they force feed all kinds of coffee to them. So it becomes a market. And you don't have any... So we don't have animal lovers complaining we, about that. No, no we, don't, we don't have any of those kind of coffees. That's not... That's not, that's not but I thought I'd ask because, you know, it's such a fascinating thing. Every So often I read something... The civet cat coffee was sold for some crazy yeah. amount of money. Yeah, yeah. And I wondered, can people actually tell the difference? The natural process, it'd be quite rare to find this coffee. So mm-hmm. that's why the price is so high. Now it's been human intervention has come in. You said you've been in India for nine years. Uh, when did you start to do the time? We started doing the initial legwork in 2012, visiting the farm, sourcing the equipment. So you've been in startup mode for about six, seven years. Yeah. Tell me, what are some of the challenges startup entrepreneurs face? Everything in the beginning is quite difficult. So I would say, especially in India, there's huge opportunity. So for us, when we started, we were one of a handful of coffee companies in the specialty space. But sort of the day-to-day challenges are are much greater. So simple things like opening up a bank account, uh, sourcing cardboard for packaging, uh, finding staff in the beginning. These, these are sort of the day-to-day things that you don't expect will be so difficult, but actually take up a lot of your time. That was sort of some of the initial challenges we faced were on day-to-day small-scale tasks. Mm-hmm. Now, as we've grown and gotten bigger, new challenges have come. Yeah. Uh, so as, as in the coffee industry in India, we're lagging a bit far behind sort of other places where coffee consumption is much higher mm-hmm. and coffee industry has been more established. So people, we, we require a lot of baristas to serve coffee in our cafes, but the level of skill in the barista community is still quite low. So for us to produce and brew the coffee the way that we would like to brew it requires a lot of upskilling of people. But that's also an opportunity. Once we upskill people, then they're able to get better jobs, have more skills, get better salaries, live a better life. And do you think you're going to start bringing in coffees from other countries as well? Well, uh, not for the moment. Uh, there's a very high import duty on coffee. It's 110%. Okay. So the price point that we'd have to sell a coffee at is almost triple. And, and we started because we wanted to highlight good quality Indian farms. So our motto and our sourcing and our brand is very much associated with high quality Indian estates. This country is really, really promoting and pushing startups. Because that's the way I think our country wants to go. And yet, I'm sure you know a lot of startup entrepreneurs. Nine out of 10 startups don't make it. And we've often seen there is a huge challenge of depression. The CCD person took the extreme step. Yeah. How important do you think is it for uh, startups to be taught the meaning of failure? I think it's important. It's obviously, uh, even startups that succeed, they, they, there are many failures along the way. So... I think understanding failures is a necessary step along the process, uh, not to sort of personalize it, but maybe internalize it so that it gives you some extra drive and motivation mm-hmm. and also take some lessons from it. So mm-hmm. if, if any any failure is an opportunity to, to learn something. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that people, people look at it that way sure. rather than sort of have it affect their ego and, and make them feel depressed or bad That's true. As far as uh, entrepreneurs are concerned, you know, you, you also mentioned that you opened 25 store and all company owned stores. Right. That is serious money going into, uh, you know, real estate, yeah. uh, store renovation, equipment, etc. 
What do you think are some of the challenges of raising money for them? So I think it's important that you're optimistic, but also genuine. Mm-hmm. Sort of presenting yourself as someone that you're not in order to, to raise money or presenting plans that are unrealistic to achieve a higher valuation or to get more funds mm-hmm. is only going to come back and, and hurt you in the end because you're responsible for executing on that. So whatever you commit in terms of your fundraise, then you have to deliver on that. So I think it's very important that, yes, you have to present a positive picture of your business in order to get people interested, but that really needs to be grounded in, in, in reality and, and grounded to you as a person. And plans for Lutokai, 25 stores, 5 cities, nationwide, maybe to the U.S. or not yet? Yes, we're actually in the process of, of fundraising very shortly okay. to uh, work on our next round of expansion. So we would like to take the store count to around 100. Mm-hmm. So right now we're present in Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, Jaipur, and Goa. Hyderabad, Chennai, Kolkata, Ahmedabad are some cities that we would like to open up. Uh, we're not looking to open up a thousand stores across the country. I think for us, the stores are important to educate consumers about what's different about our coffee. Is there a sort of a brand experience where the baristas can explain how to brew the coffee at home, collect the right coffee that suits your taste palate? Matt, thank you so much for coming to the brand called You. Thank you. Wish you lots of success with your fundraising and for your next 100 stores. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Brand Called You, and never miss any update. For feedback, reach us on at HTSmartcast. We are present on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts by The Brand Called You, log on to www.htsmartcast.com or suno nai nazari essay. This was an HT Smartcast original. HT Smartcast.